0: So tonight our passage is in John chapter 21. Our passage is actually verses 15 through 19, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 19 so we get proper context. So John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Please pray with me. Father, as we open your word, bless it. Bless the reading of it, the preaching of it, to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. When we read the last chapter of the Gospel of John, it probably strikes you as oddly out of place. At the end of chapter 20, John tells us the purpose of the book, and he seems to close it out. But then he adds this next account in chapter 21, an odd account of a fishing trip, a breakfast, and a conversation. In fact, some critical scholars have actually tried to make the case that chapter 21 doesn't belong in the Bible at all. Because it doesn't seem to fit in some cases. However, you don't even have to be an expert in literature to know that it is very common for authors to put an epilogue at the end of a book for the purpose of what I call tying up loose ends. To try to bring some things, some unfinished business that needs to be brought together. And that's what we see here. Any event that's included in more than one gospel underscores the important place that it holds. And the account of Peter's three denials of Christ is included in all the gospels. However, only John includes the account of his restoration. If there was ever a loose end that needed to be tied up tied back up, it was Peter. As the longest surviving apostle, John saw years in the early church growing, developing, and having problems. And as such, writing as an old man in exile, he was uniquely positioned to see that the church moving forward into the future needed to know how our Savior restored this apostle. And we see in Peter's boldness and leadership in establishing the church that he truly understood what this restoration called him to do for the rest of his life on this earth. And with that, there are many ways we could look at this. This chapter is full of details. It's easy to get bogged down in some of the details, and I would even venture to you, you know, you can even kind of get lost in some of the details here. So what I want to do is try to simplify this tonight and consider two different issues. I want us to look at why Peter's restoration matters to us and then Peter's call to the Great Commission. And I apologize. I didn't have time. I didn't. I'm actually recycling a sermon I've done before and making some modifications to it. I didn't. And I, in the essence of time, and I didn't have time to prepare an outline for you. So if you're taking notes, you just use the back of your thing there. But I don't have an outline already prepared. So why does Peter's rest- restoration by Christ matter to us? Well. Luke 22 tells us about the situation leading up to Peter's denial. In Luke chapter 22, uh, you can also read another account of this same passage. It's a brief account um, in John chapter 13, but I'm going to use the Luke passage tonight. In Luke 22, verses 31 through 34, we find the following. Simon, Simon, behold. This is the Lord speaking. Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like weed. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. We're all very familiar with this account of the Lord foretelling what Peter was going to do at leading up to the crucifixion. It was kind of interesting. In, in my career, I've encountered a lot of dangerous situations that required quick and decisive action. that that, that had to be taken. And on multiple occasions, I was involved in some of these situations with people that were more bent on being quick and decisive than they necessarily were with taking the proper actions. I call these people ready, fire, aim. And that's kind of the way Peter is. Peter was kind of a ready, fire, aim guy. Okay, you know, he he was ready to go and he went before he might think about where it was he really, what he should have done, what, where he was really needed to go. He was indeed a ready-fire aim, and we noted this as he brags to Jesus about how he's going to be faithful to the end, to the prison, to the death, and then we know what happens from there. We often act like Peter, just like that, when we make decisions and take actions in our lives without seeking the Lord's guidance in prayer and Bible study. We're very much like that. We all, I think, have a tendency to be ready, fire, aim people. And so that's we have a lot of similarity with Peter there. One other similarity we have is that... Peter was the opposite of, of humble in this situation. Peter d- d- demonstrates extreme arrogance. He's very arrogant in this conversation, and that only enhances his guilt. Then, following that, we can read in John chapter 18, that three-time denial. Deny, 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 and then what happened? The rooster crowed, and he was reminded of what he had done and how the Lord had told him that. Peter is unabashedly called out in Scripture to be an arrogant and repeat offender. But in other words, Peter is you, and Peter is me. We're all like Peter. We're all repeat and arrogant offenders. And it matters because it demonstrates the gospel message of God's great love for sinners. If you read in first, chapter, uh, first Timothy, chapter one, I'm going to read verses twelve through sixteen. Paul speaking to Timothy, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. So Paul gives us... Paul and Peter and Paul were very similar. They both did some very egregious things. They sinned egregiously against our Lord. And yet He restored them. And not only did He restore them, but... Certainly, arguably, two of, uh, two of the greatest used servants, you know, throughout history. Certainly two of the greatest apostles, okay, and how the Lord used them. But they were both reprobate sinners saved by grace. So Peter's restoration matters because we're just like him. We need to be restored as well. And so the question we need to ask ourselves when we think about why this matters and why the gospel message is important is Do we need to look to see, do our lives demonstrate our appreciation for God's remarkable grace that he's shown to us? And are we genuinely repentant of our own sin just like Peter and Paul were in their own lives? second thing I wanted to talk about or wanted to examine a little bit briefly tonight is Peter's call to the Great Commission within this text. So what we see here is, is in John let me back up to John 21 So when Jesus gets Peter to the side he asks him if he loves him three times and then he tells him to feed my sheep three times. Okay? Well, feed my sheep if we were to Take the Great Commission as we would find in Matthew chapter 28 where he says, Go, make disciples, okay? Well, feed my sheep, that's making disciples, okay? So Peter was called by Jesus to make disciples. And he was called to feed my sheep. We see the Great Commission right here in the text by the three times question and answer, If you love me, then feed my sheep. The three affirmations of if you love me, feed my sheep, follow the three denials of Peter prior to the crucifixion. So but what you might say to that tonight is you might answer me by saying something like, but Russell, I'm not the great apostle Peter. This doesn't apply to me. But Russell, that's the job for the pastor, for the elders or the deacons. But Russell, I don't have the skills or the knowledge to do that kind of work. But Russell, but Russell, but Russell. There's a lot of excuses that we can make not to follow the Great Commission, but as we see the commission displayed in Jesus' restoration of Peter... We can look at many passages of Scripture that talk to each and every one of us about how we should follow the Great Commission in our lives. We could go to Ephesians 4, verses 12 through 16, where the church is described as the body of Christ with each member having a part and a role. You can support through prayer and giving very important and often under under uh, underappreciated efforts, okay We had a great sermon this morning on prayer at Bailey and how we need to be persistent in our prayers, okay? Well, a persistent prayer warrior, you know, it accomplishes much. So you can support through prayer and giving. And in fact, in Romans 15, you know, Paul is basically recruiting the help of the Romans in prayer and giving to support his trip he wanted to take into Spain. You can also follow the Great Commission in in your own life by being prepared to give an answer to the world about your own faith. We see this in, for example, in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, and in 1 Peter uh, 2, and again in chapter 3, uh, Peter makes two great statements about how we need to be prepared to give that answer to the world. That's one other way we can follow the Great Commission in our own lives, like Peter did. And the, the last thing I would say is we can live a life. So what you can do is you can live a life that reflects Christ to others. We see that in, in Matthew chapter five and Philippians two. We, we, you know, our life should reflect Christ to other people. We can make disciples as well, even though we may not be called to. Start the early church. We may not be called to stand in a pulpit, but we may be. But we are called. Every one of us is called to do all these other things. Okay, so we need to feed my sheep and follow the Great Commission like Peter did. <clears throat> the other part of the Great Commission that we see in the passage here is <coughs> is when Jesus says, "Follow me." And so that would be the equivalent in the Matthew 28 Great Commission where he says, go. That's what Jesus is telling telling Peter here when he says, follow me. He's telling him to go wherever it is that I send you, you go. And so, but going can be difficult. You know, if you think about, because as soon as Jesus tells Peter you know, to follow me, what did he just tell him prior to that? He told him that he was going to follow him unto death. All right? So it wasn't an easy road. He didn't promise him smiles and happy faces. You know, he promised, he, he, but he did promise that he would be with him. So what we have to do is so as we go, as we see Peter being restored and commissioned into the Great Commission through this, we look at ourselves and what does it mean to us to have to go. And so it requires us to put away some earthly obstacles in order to go and follow Christ. The first one, I think, is ourselves. You know, sometimes we're our own worst enemy. We're our own obstacle to success. We're our own obstacle to going where the Lord wants us to go. Because if you put yourself in Peter's shoes right here, that's a pretty scary place to be. Okay? Go, follow me until you die. And it's not even going to be a a good way to die. So, you know, we have to look past ourselves. We have to put ourselves aside to follow the Great Commission in our own lives. We also have to look past people. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, you know, Christ talks very specifically about this, where he says, if you love others more than you love me, you're not fit to follow me. We can't put other people in that, you know, he, he gets it all in that, you know. Husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, you know, in other words, we can't put anyone in front of Christ, including our people in our lives that we love. Um, Other things that we need to be prepared to put aside to follow that Great Commission are things. Money, career, safety, our own safety. There's a lot of things we have to be prepared. It doesn't mean we have to just walk out the door and throw our money in a bucket so we can go somewhere else. We have to be judicious and prudent. You know, The Lord gives us wisdom in how to do these things, but we can't let those things be in the way when God calls us to something you know Eric is almost finished I think you're almost finished with your sermon series on 1st Peter and I hope you all have been able to be to listen to all of it or most of it and if you have you'll reflect on how often Peter delivers the message of hope that comes through the gospel to a group to, of Christ to a group of Christians who are living in terrible persecution and suffering okay so Peter was uniquely qualified to know what the cost was to go, to follow me, as Jesus told him. Peter understood that, and we've seen that as he, as Eric has um, brought that brought that out. So, so. Peter, Peter's restoration matters to us because it shows us the gospel and it demonstrates the Great Commission, and we see how Peter, it happened, how Peter did that in his life as we read the book of Acts, and then we can there are all of there are ways for each and every one of us to take that in our own life and follow that out. So in terms of application, I would would have a few comments. Um, uh, Christ restored Peter to help carry out the Great Commission. Did Peter get it? You bet he did, warts and all, and the biblical record proves it. When we see what Peter and the other disciples did, the record's really clear. They were a confused group of disciples For the three years they were on earth with Christ. But after Christ commissioned and um, restored Peter, there wasn't a lot of confusion after that. They knew what the mission was and they, they, they didn't let anything get in their way. You know, I wonder if Peter ever went fishing for fish again after that day. My gut tells me probably not. Okay? Even though he was a fisherman, he really probably took up the call at that point. I can only imagine him thinking of Christ when he called him saying, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. I bet you he never forgot that. After I bet I, I really believe that's the last day he ever went fishing, okay? <clears throat> All Christians are restored for a purpose. Christ restores us when we believe in him. And, and, and follow him just like he did Peter. And the Great Commission was not given as a task for the pastor alone. Each, every single one of us has a task and a part in carrying that out. How has God's saving grace in your life changed you? Ask yourself, are you fulfilling the Great Commission that God has given to you? The last thing I was going to say in terms of application is I want to ask you, if you're looking, I'm going to ask you a question. Are you looking for what I call the charcoal fires that God has placed in your life to teach you? Good. I see a few puzzled faces and that's what I was hoping. If you look back to John chapter 18... You can just listen, I'm going to read it to you. It's John chapter 18. I'm going to read to you verse 16 through 18. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of the man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Flip over to chapter 21. Where I read earlier. In verse 9 it says, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. The Greek word for charcoal is called anthracia. So if you follow, uh, there's a coal called, there's a particular type of coal called anthracite. Okay, and that's where that word comes from. <coughs> It's the only place in the New Testament that those words are used. The night that Peter betrayed Christ, the three times he did it by the same kind of fire that Christ had prepared for him when he came to restore him that day, when they were fishing that morning. And what this does is, is it shows. You know, there's a lot of ways. It shows a lot of things. Jesus could have done a lot with that. He could have brought Peter over here because you have to know that this is not an accident that he did this the same way. And he could have brought Peter in and pulled him over here and he could have just dog-stomped him. Alright? Because Peter had to know when he saw and he smelled that fire... That was from not that many days ago, and he remembered what he was doing the last time he saw and smelled that fire. He knew what happened. And the Lord didn't, he brought him in and he used this as part of his effort and part of his actions to restore Peter. (laughs) I was, uh... some of us have these same kind of memories in our own lives. Sights, sounds, smells, things that happen to us, and then later, you know, we we remember things from that. And the Lord uses this in a very gentle and caring way because he brings Peter into that same fire that he that he was standing by when he was denying Christ and sending him off taking doing his part to send him off to the cross. But instead of browbeating him, he brought him in so that Peter could see his sin. It was all there. There was no way to hide from it. He saw it. The Lord saw it. He knew what he, the Lord was saying to him when he had when he was standing there by this fire. And yet Jesus took him in and he brings him in and he says, Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Okay? He brings him in and restores him. And uh, I was looking for a, an example of kind of how to explain this. And I'm not fond of just going out to the internet and looking for stuff on bible verses because I'm always concerned about the sources that I come to but I found this source and I can't vouch for it uh In a big way, but I have to acknowledge the person because I didn't invent this. But his name was Phil Ware. He has a website called (laughs) heartlight.com. And he was talking about this passage, and I was trying to kind of find a way to explain it. And he just has a beautiful way of saying what happened here. He says... In cornbread English, John is telling us that the smell of a charcoal fire evoked the memory of Peter's three denials until it was supplanted by the memory of Peter's restoration by the Lord in front of a charcoal fire. I like that cornbread English thing. I can appreciate that. I can understand that. So that's a picture of what's happening. And I was trying to, you know, so some of you... The Lord may use a passage of Scripture that you've read at a particular time in your life that has a meaning, a, a particular meaning to you. And you'll, you'll, you'll read it at a certain time. You'll hear someone talk about it. You'll hear it preached from a pulpit. Those things come back to you and the Lord can use those same type of things with us. Just like he used that charcoal fire with Peter that 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 morning, okay. And I was trying to think of another way that, that, that we might see that kind of thing, see that thing, and how that would work. And the closest thing that I could come to, and I'm I'm almost scared to, to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. But I <laughs> I see this same parallel in the sacraments. When we look at the Lord's Supper and at baptism, we see the signs and symbols. You know, the Lord speaks to us in these signs and symbols when we take the bread and the wine, and it look, you smell it, you taste it, alright? You know, it, there's, it's signs and symbols of His body and His blood. And in baptism, you know, when the water's sprinkled, we see the cleansing, okay? The cleansing, that, you know, that, that is provided through salvation. And these things are signs and symbols of those things. And I, I feel like there's probably a parallel here, or there could be a parallel, you know, as to when we see how the Lord gently deals with Peter over a charcoal fire that had the memories of the worst thing he he ever did on this earth and yet then he brought from that the memories you know of being brought back into fellowship with Christ I can only imagine what that was like for him the rest of his life okay so anyway it, so I guess the question I want to leave you with there is are you looking for the charcoal fires that God has placed in your life to teach you we're about to sing a closing hymn And I'm shameless when it comes to hymns by Philip Bliss, and this is one of my favorites. It's called, Let the Lower Lights Be Burning. It's a song that talks about God's mercy being the great light. But the lighthouses down along the shore that provide the light to save the sailors from crashing into the rocks is us. We are to be a reflection of God's great light to those we encounter in our lives. This is how God works. This is God's will for us to reflect His light to others. It's a wonderful picture of the great commission in action. And I encourage you to think about this while we sing. Let's, let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you speak to us in ways that we can understand. I thank you that you love us. That I thank you for the picture of Peter being restored to fellowship with you. Think about what that meant in his life. And I just pray that you'd help each of us to take that same picture forward from here, bring it out into our lives, and help us to live out the great commission to the people in our lives that you bring us in contact with. In Christ's name, amen.